Couch Wisdom. Couch Wisdom. Hey, this is Jordan Rothline from Red Bull Music Academy. Welcome to Couch Wisdom, Red Bull Radio's podcast presenting the best of RBMA's lecture archive. Pandai Jing is known for music that prioritizes tactility and texture. Whether she's amplifying the smallest of mouth sounds or manifesting a waterfall of noise, the Chinese experimental artist's attention to granular detail makes for a deeply absorbing listening experience. In the short time since she was a participant at the Red Bull Music Academy in Montreal in 2016, Dai Jing has created sound art for gallery spaces and fashion shows and released a number of diverse projects. Her acclaimed debut album, Lack, released on the Berlin label Pan, drew on her interest in operatic storytelling techniques. Other releases include an EP on Dubai's Bedouin Records that explored the darkest crevices of the club, and a collaborative 7-inch with Austrian improv musician-composer Werner Doffeldecker. In 2018, Dai Jing underscored her versatility by lending punk vocals to the debut album from Amnesia Scanner, Another Life. In this episode of Couch Wisdom, recorded at the 2018 Red Bull Music Academy in Berlin, Pan Dai Jing discussed the inspiration behind several of her evocative performance pieces, the relationship between sound and emotion, and her approach to composition. If you want to learn more about the Academy, please stay tuned after the lecture. For now, enjoy this bit of Couch Wisdom. I'd like to welcome Pan Dai Jing, who's sitting next to me. Hello. Pan is an artist working between noise, techno, performance art, dance, theater, industrial, and the avant-garde. You may know her from her album Lack that came out last summer on the Pan Records label, or maybe from her confrontational and multidisciplinary performances at festivals like CTM and Atonal. Uh, and not long ago, she was sitting where you guys are sitting right now. She was a participant in the 2016 Montreal Red Bull Music Academy. I feel like all of the things that I mentioned describe Pan, and yet none of them really do. So I'm very excited in the next hour to find out more about her riveting work. Welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so good to see you. So um, I thought we could actually start this conversation off with some music from Lack. You've mm -hmm. said several times that your music is a way of saying things that you can't necessarily say in real life. Yeah, I mean, I guess for um, every artist and musician, the reason why they, they do what they do, no matter painter or sculptor or poet, you know, that's because they chose or they were chosen to be gifted this way of expression as the kind of language they can speak the best in everything they can manage. So I guess it makes sense for me to say that I can make my speech most clear and express the most through music because that's just how I feel naturally, yeah. When did you figure out that music was... Uh the ideal form of expression for you, um, or sound, rather? Well, I would say growing up, I was always very interested in sonic uh, stimulation, sound, environment, and I feel that's very straightforward and, you know, most um, mysterious and 
it really just resonated with how I feel about the world. But really um, to feel like, okay, music can be a choice or sound can be a form of expression was really when I step out of my teenage time and, you know, going abroad for the first time in my life and confronting a lot of things I was not aware before by myself, by the world. And yeah, I guess around 2014, which was not so long ago. <laughs> Um, I want to play something from Lack, and this appears uh, in the middle of the record. It is your debut solo full length. Um, it's called Act of the Empress. Can you say anything about it before I play it? Uh, yeah, well, I, growing up, watched a lot of... I mean, I'm sure everybody has a very unique uh, upbringing in, in, in a way, and I happen, just happened to grow up, watch a lot of historic... Uh, historical TV shows in China and um, I was very interested in like you know the role of women in this empire time and yeah I think it's something very special and I always have this fantasy of um, you know because it's it's it, it was never possible for women to be the um, you know to be the the head of the country and it's still not possible right now but there was one woman that was the, the 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 wife of the emperor and then became after he passed away she became the the king of the country so i thought it was kind of inspired by her story the song yeah well let's hear it here's pandai jing with act of the empress so you've just been listening to Pan's Act of the Empress that comes midway through the album Lack, and I just thought I'd play it early on so you can get a sense of what her musical work sounds like. Um, how does that feel to you to hear that? I don't know. Like, I'm not really the kind of person that would listen to my own music that much because I think it's quite demanding because it's really personal and I really need a lot of space and, you know, be in the right mood to be able to engage a past I, I have. Um, well, but this specific sound, I guess, for me, it's really a lot of uh, giving, you know, it's really empowering feeling. Well, listen to it almost a bit too much, but I guess that's just because I made it maybe. <laughs> um, one of the other inspirations for this record was uh, horror movies, right? Or depictions of women in movies? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm really not a huge fan of horror films. I really love watching films. I almost watch one or two films, more than I listen to music, let's say. Um, I'm really interested in, you know, like this like psychological buildups in, in films, especially, um, you know, the ones that has uh, uh, stories related to not necessarily female, but, you know, this feminine beings in films, it can be all gender. Um, and I find it's very fascinating. So, because in a way, you know, like I, I mentioned, I'm searching for this kind of personal connection um, when I express through music. And so when I see stories or read, watch films that I feel personally resonant with, it triggers a lot of emotions. And I like to get inspired by those emotions. So I would say a big part of inspiration for the making of Lack came from this sort of, you know, um, 
let's say, psychological narrative, like, you know, the script or the stories or even sometimes a gesture of the actress or how the camera is moving, all these very detailed things could inspire a whole song. Like, so there's a lot of things. And I, I guess I spent a whole year watching a lot of those films and, you know, just thinking about stories and looking into my past, reading books that I felt okay, would help me understand a lot of things in a way it's like almost therapeutic, I would say. Yeah. Um, what sorts of books were you reading? Like psychology books, um, novels? Um, I'm not really a, like a big fan of fictions. I found, because when I read English, it's quite slow. I do like to read like philosophy books just because my dad had a lot of them. Um, yeah, and also like, you know, it really depends, poetry, um, you know, all sorts of stuff and on um, script, theater play and, you know, just, I would even read out loud and I think it's quite interesting. Uh, you know, when I really like a paragraph, I would read it again and again with different emotions and record it on my phone and listen to it. And I think it's almost like someone's talking to me and it feels differently, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It's sort of like acting as a way of channeling the emotions of these different characters. Yeah, definitely. I really like this. Um, you know, I feel like for me, the 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 the, the theater elements, or let's say the, the the acting elements in my work is is very natural because I really feel like a lot of times, you know, when I hear things, I see visuals at the same time, and quite often I see myself as the as the one of the roles in the scenery. So it's very natural. I feel like I'm acting out the music and that also happens in my performance as well, yeah. So what sorts of things, if you're comfortable talking about mm -hmm. this, I know that you see almost like an entire movie or entire show in your head when you're making music. Like you don't make the music and then think of the visual. It's like the visual is always part of it, um, what sorts of images were in your mind in general when you were working on Lack? Um, it's just all situations. I think it's, um, you know, I feel very almost over and excited about the world, but not the connection between an image. I see like right now it's a situation, but you know, like, it feels interesting when you're just being thrown at a situation and not knowing before and after the cause. And, and so you have to, you know, your understanding the situation is based on who you are. And I think that's, you know, with the same happens with music, with gear, like um, when I work on, I, I mainly work with uh, like analogs. I don't, I'm not very good at computer. Um, so, you know, how I feel like it's, I step in a situation with the setup and how I feel about, you know, the things and like, you know, this very intimate, almost loving encounter with the gear. And it's the same, you know, when I create music and how it makes me feel, it always will create a natural, it could be a smell, it could be a temperature and the triggers all together put me into a situation and it just happens naturally. It It's like information or, or digits your brain unconsciously collect, collect before, you know, the whole time you're leaving and it just triggers by certain things, yeah. On the note of synthesizers, are there some tools that you consider to be essential to your work 
or I mean, how important are the tools in general? You mean tool as the gear? As the gear or even things that you're sampling regularly mm. or does, is it changing all the time? Um, I don't really sample, use samples, um, which I have, I think it's just very interesting, like host, the, the whole idea of sampling sounds. And I would love to get more into that, but I do, you know, when I don't use, not, let's say not the, not elect, like the acoustic sounds or either field recordings or I play them. Um, and I do think, because I don't really, I don't come from like academic background. I never really learned anything I do now. So I'd like to treat every, you know, it's like the first encounter is so important. I just believe this fate almost, which things belongs to. It's like a saying almost like we all, where I come from, they always say you have your own mountain. So it's really this, you don't know which one is, just have to go to one after another and one day you'll find out that's your mountain, like you belong here. So I feel the same with gear. And it's just, you know, I turn on, I don't, I usually don't read, like go on YouTube to watch a tutorial, how to do this and that. I just, you know, I heard some sounds in some songs. I was like, oh, I really love that. And I just research on what gear that could possibly be. And I try it out if it really connects with me. And then, you know, I know this, we should talk, we should do some stuff together. It's like a friend. If it doesn't happen naturally, there's no point for me to make extra effort. So I guess there's a few gear synthesizer that I really love just because we really connected and from the beginning, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you have a piece of gear that was maybe the first thing that you bought, the uh, Mochica. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's almost broken, but because I travel with it all the time. Um, I just found it on, actually when I was traveling here in Berlin for the first time, I wanted to get something and I just go to this Berlin eBay and I just, it was on sale there. I was like, oh, this looks really interesting. And I researched it a bit. It's just really, I think somehow it just, it's also like a special thing for me because it was one of the first thing that I really get and I had no, you know, it's not because I heard it. It's like you randomly walk into a restaurant and it happens to be your favorite restaurant. That's how I felt about it. And the sound was just really powerful. And a lot of my work is, I really believe in improvisation um, because that's that brings out like a very intuitive, um, you know, approach to work and which for me is very important because then it connects with the authenticity and all that that I believe in. So I feel like this little thing that really because it's just really like a, a wild horse it doesn't really it's handmade from this guy in Peru it's not that many and not like really calculated so you know sometimes it just turns off while I'm even playing in the middle of my set and but that's fine you know like it's like falling off a horse then but it's really fun when you have this specific one that's just it's difficult to train but you know it's fun yeah you don't mind having intense synth friends <laughs> or <Yeah>. gear friends. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit more about your background because mm. I think it's really interesting and I think most people's aesthetic sort of starts developing mm. even when they're very, very young. So tell me a little bit about where you're from and what you were into when you were younger. Um... Well, um, I was born, raised in a city in the southwest part of China, Kaguiyang, and and then I went to university in Beijing when I was seventeen. 
and and then I, I left uh, China for the first time six years ago. Um, that's basically the you know the fact check. Um, I don't know. I really I really feel really connected to where I'm from, and I really appreciate my upbringing as very disconnected with the rest of the world. It was, and also we, it's like a really mountain city. Um, Can I stop you right there? Can yeah. we actually put up picture number five? You have photo? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. This is not even the most glamorous photo of Guiyang. I suggest that you do a little Google image search because it's kind of a fantastical place in terms of the architecture. Yeah, it's, I really love it. And there's a lot of monkeys. Uh, I, I always joke, it's like mon monkeys in my hometown is like kangaroos in Australia. They're not like jumping to your house, but you know, they, they sometimes bump into you, they're lounging and like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a place that we have 4 million people, so it's a lot, but you're in the nature. So it, I feel like it gives me this chance to embrace human nature at the same time. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah, but of course, culturally, it's not like, there's nothing really cool for like contemporary stuff, but we have the most minority in the whole country. So it's, you know, it's a very mixed culture and you, you, you I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not, let's say, heavily involved in all those like minority ceremonies or anything, but it's in, it, you see it all the time and different ways of singing and, you know, it's very, it's amazing. This like when, that's when I started to realize voice is something so special. It's everyone's voice is unique and the power that a, a voice can transmit is, is enormous, yeah. So at the same time, I mean, as being young and even being a teenager before you left Guiyang, you weren't really that into music, at least not in a traditional way of like consuming albums or being part of any sort of scene. No, I, I feel this way, in this way I feel a bit bad. I was just really like a nerd when I was growing up, I guess, and not really know those cool kids, know where to get those like, you know, CDs with a hoe or because, because, because we can't really get, um, you know, when I was growing up, it was, you have to get this, we call it dakodi, it means like, you get the CDs, it was treated when you imported as like a wasted plastic and they all get a hole, but you can still, or tape that's cut, but you can still fix it and listen to it. Um, so you go go to this like kind of like market on the bridge and and you, you look at what cover looks nicer and you just get it. I was not aware of those. I was just doing like studying and playing sports and you know, kind of happy, boring kid, just study. Um, and I got, but, I don't know. I don't. I don't really necessarily think you have to really be involved and soaked from what you do since you were a kid, because what's in you is always there. You, you, you can experience the world in very different way. Not everyone's path has to be similar. I, I really appreciate that I was not involved in music or art at all, and none of my family member is interested in it. And I just feel like I see a world in a very. I, I collect feelings and information in a very different way that actually actually puts me in a different place now when I, when I express. Um, but I do remember, I guess, my first encounter of Western world was when this, um, I got this tape from, uh, of Michael Jackson, this Invisible. And I, I just thought the cover was cool, you know, like it's like minimal. <laughs> I didn't know what, I mean, 
now I know it's minimal. Back then I was like, okay, it looks like different than like the next two. It was like Celine Dion, Mary Carey, and I was like, oh, this looks very different. So I got that, and um, my mom gave me like this tape tape player, this, um, and I put it in, and there was no like the battery was almost running out. And I didn't know, so I just play. And it was, you know, when you play a tape, when it's like a battery is dying, it's like pitch down, super slow, and like do metal vibe. So it was just, I was like, whoa, this is really cool. That's how I remember that. But of course, later I found out Mike Jackson is not a metal guy. But <laughs> yeah. Then you're like chopped and screwed. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still super into him. Like he's great, you know. But I just found it's really funny how my first impression of like. Western music was like, whoa, that's really sounds like someone was like chanting on the mountains over there. You know, it's, I didn't know it was going to be, I thought it was going to be so different, but it was in a way very close to what I, you know, have experienced before. I guess it was, it was a nice first encounter. <laughs> what, what were the subsequent encounters? Like what, what did you encounter after that? Mm, I Western just music wise. I just obsessively listened to that one tape for a long time. <laughs> and of course, then with the battery in and stuff. Um, I don't know. I just, I guess maybe I just lost interest in, in like digging. I, I don't know. I went somewhere else. And after a long time, I think maybe I picked on my music. Oh, yes. Karaoke bars, of course. <laughs> we, we have this like, I, I'm sure in Japan, like South Korea is the same. It's like trippy karaoke rooms you like Hello Kitty simmed and like Snoopy simmed you know and when I was a teenager we're like we that's where we hang out all the time you go out you go to a karaoke place and I just loved seeing the karaoke place but of course you have to learn all these Chinese pop songs to be able to you know or of course you can also sing City Dion if you can but you know um speaking of trippy things I want to show this video that represents something that you will might have watched on TV when you were young. Okay, um, yeah. You told me last night that you watched a lot of TV growing up yeah. and all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and you weren't really into cartoons, so you were often watching more serious adult historical movies, but then also this show. Yeah. Um, we can talk about it afterwards, but I think we should just show it to people first. Um, this is from an episode of a show called Journey to the West, and uh, features the Monkey King. Video number six, please. Yes, I should all clap for the Monkey King. Well, that'll set your brain on fire as yeah. a little kid or that, an adult. That's like, I guess X, it's like X-File for a lot of people in Madding States. Like that was the X-File for me, I guess. Like you get really obsessed and like so many episodes never ending and every day just like waiting in front of the TV for it to happen. And I really thought I was a monkey. Yeah, so it was nice. <laughs> yeah, this may seem erroneous, but it will come back later because your work is not only about making music and putting out albums, but it's really a multidisciplinary approach that encompasses also dance movements, theater, video, performance art, etc. And I think you got some of that costumes as well into your brain Definitely. <laughs> uh, as a child. So... You didn't at first think that you were going to be a musician. You went to Beijing to study what? Well, I mean, it, yes, I studied accounting, but I don't know anything about it. Don't ask me why. <laughs> Good, I don't know anything about it either. 
Um, at what point did you get it in your mind that you needed to go somewhere else? From the first day I stepped into the university. Because, I mean, China, it's the situation. It's like I studied really, really hard to rank high, to be able to go to the best school, blah, blah, blah. And you get there, like, come on, you're joking. This is, you know, I'm not going to talk shit right now. But, um, yeah, I just didn't think that was how I want to spend my next four years. So is San Francisco where you first encountered um, no- the noise scene or noise music or experimental music? Or had you already been interested in that in Beijing? Mm, yeah, I was. I mean, Beijing has a really big, had a really big um, noise community. I mean, really big, like compared to other stuff. Um, and it's very, everybody is very tied with each other in a way. And I just... Of course, you know, like, also, like, the, the places, we, I mean, they're all shut down now, but we used to go, you know, like, there's someone playing piano, someone reading poems, there's, like, our film for screening, and there's, like, some noise concert happening all at the same time in this, like, ancient house, and it, it's really nice, and I didn't really know what that was. I was too young to really understand it in a way, and because I've never experienced that before, as other people have already, you know, be part of it since they were teenagers, um, but I kind of get a taste of it, and I thought it was something really interest. I would be really interested in it. Of course, in San Francisco, this so many things happen. I, I go to clubs to see like dance music, and I go to small venues. There's like avant-garde acts, experimental concerts, and all this sort of things. And it's a really open-minded, um, you know, also very cultural-wise, very dynamic, and you know, multicultural place. It's a melting pot. Um, and I didn't feel like I was being really, uh, how do you call this? Like people are very familiar with, you know, people from China there because there's just big Chinese community. So I felt in a way very welcomed and I was felt like safer to engage in, uh, in the nightlife, let's say. So I went out to see things a lot. And of course, also, you know, the, the, no restriction on the internet. You can use YouTube now. You can use like all these sort of things because they're all restricted in, in where I'm from. And I wasn't cool enough to know what VPN was. So, you know, and I, I'm abroad. I was like, oh, you can go to this website. You can go to these cogs. And like one after another, you link to things. And yeah, just a lot of research. And it started. So you were kind of making up for lost time in a way and going down, like heavily researching on the internet all of these yeah, things that were interesting. Definitely a lot, like a lot of research. But I was really, I feel like I spent all these days like listening and reading and watching. Like my eyes were just like so big because it was just a whole world opened up to me. Um, it, there's also a point I got almost like really sad because I realized how much I've missed out. And everyone I met, I talked to, they have been listening to this kind of stuff since they were very young. And, you know, almost feel like, oh, you know, also like when people talked about, I mean, you know, like when I just started, people would talk about gear, the records, they know, do you know this? You know that? I didn't know anything. And I feel really bad about it. I mean, now I, I'm, I completely changed my attitude. I think it's good not to know, but it's it's good, it's important to always learn and study, but it doesn't matter if you don't know. No one knows everything, and there's no point of showing off knowledge. It's it's totally different thing than creating and what the inspiration is. It's not about how much you know. But of course, as a kid, I was have my security. I want to be part of a community. I want to have friends, and I feel like, oh, I don't know this and that. So the more I know, the more I know I don't know, and that's like a very difficult time to deal with but 
I went, I got over it. Before we move on, I wanted to play a clip from a documentary um, that's showing some early industrial acts, mostly from England, like Test Department, Coil, Current 93, et cetera. Um, and I think they're saying some interesting things about sort of the ethos behind their work. So if we can play uh, clip number seven, please. So that was a clip that we were watching from The Sound of Progress. And I realized that uh, the members of COIL there might be hard for some people to understand. But what they were saying, what they were talking about was um, using their own personal experience in their work and how difficult that is to do right, but how gratifying it is when you can do that. And then the guy said that some people might find that very egotistical, but he actually thinks it's egotistical for people to think that they know anything about other people's personal experience. Um, so... I don't know, were, were some of the ideas of people like Coyle and Test Department or Diamanda Galas or sort of any of these um, people working in really out there music from the 80s and 90s important for you? Well, Coyle and Diamanda Galas are definitely very important influence for me, especially when I started listening to electronic music. Um, you know, I guess it's a lot of confront, confronting, you know, your past and dealing with fear. Um, I felt very, you know, quite often very scared when I was abroad alone. And, you know, you, you encountered a lot of situations. You, you're not in a safe place anymore. And especially when you don't have any friends, your family is not supportive to you. I'm sure it happens to a lot of people as well. And... You, you, of course, you, you know, when you're evolving from a teenage to like, you're like, okay, maybe an adult, maybe not. You're like, what am I? And all those kind of things. And, you know, you can go off and go into dark places. And that I think that's absolutely fine. And for me, you know, it's, it's to always stay positive and, you know, but this kind of, I, I, I don't have a problem, but I accept that I feel like I, my upbringing is always feel a bit sad. Um, but it's okay, you know, it's like, I, when I hear close music, it's really melan melancholic stuff, but it feels a lot of love. And same with uh, when I saw the Amanagala's performance, it's, it's power, but not showing off power. So there's nothing macho in this kind of exhibition of, you know, how, um, how powerful she is as a woman, but more of you know, telling people there's no need to be afraid of the idea of being afraid. So this sort of things is really inspiring in a way, very motivating. And also I think both of them are very pure artists. You can see in their crafts, in what they believe in. It's really, uh, really, really pure in a way, almost naive and innocent, how they appro they're approaching their work and they're exposing their souls in their work. And I think that's super important and that's what makes the work original and authentic. Um, so I think that's beautiful. So for me, that's where I want to come from and that's how I was brought up. It's a pure place and I want to stay there. So I see those people, I've been doing this for so many years and they're still doing it. I mean, unfortunately, Koyo is not there anymore, you know, but um, one year, two years ago, I played actually at Funk House with Madagalas. 
the performance was mind blowing and you know they're still there doing what they've been doing and you know spreading this kind of I consider it as love so I think it's really beautiful yeah so definitely they're very important influence for me yeah so there's something about this sort of very powerful music um we'll just call it noise or experimental even though that's pretty reductionist but there's something about these extreme noise situations and these confrontational performances that um, create a feeling or able or enable you to access certain feelings yeah. that maybe you can't access when you're listening to dance hall with your morning coffee. Yeah, which is also nice. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I would say, I mean, I definitely embrace all kinds of music. I, I you know, I, I listen to really everything. Mm, but um, I think the thing is, on there's something that it's not you have a choice. I didn't feel like I had a choice. And that's for me is, you know, let's say the extreme in, in, in art and music. And that's how, let's say when you're a kid, you, 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 you're in pain you didn't know how to say it, you just cry, right? And when you're a teenager, you probably scream. Or you scream a bit longer. Okay, you some, I scream sometimes still. Maybe I'm still a teenager, I don't know. But, um, you know, I learned to uh, find ways to say it in a manner that wouldn't hurt others, wouldn't hurt myself, and would make my speech louder let's say, and this, you, it's a very long journey. You have to read loads of books. You have to practice your craft. You have to, you know, be smart, be humble, do a lot of things. It can take years and maybe one day you'll get there. But I believe there's a way to get there is not to change who you are, not to, you know, if you are provocative, you can still be provocative. If you, you are angry with the world or you are suffer and those are all fine. It's not to change that, but the manner you have in your speech, the way you express yourself can change, can be poetic, can be subtle, can be abstract or, you know, can be philosophical or anything. And that is, you. it's like wine, you know, you have to let it stay for years. You have to think a lot. And that also requires a lot of solitude, which brings more suffer. But, we, you know, we're not going deep there, but... <laughs> Um, you know, all this package come together and I believe we can go there and doesn't mean that, you know, I think, I do think in, in noise music and involvement of performance art, especially now with the existence of internet, there's so many ways of doing it. There's no need and I also think it's really not necessary to repeat what have existed. Um, you know, we, this is not... Um, it's not, it's not an, a clash of aesthetics. It's not styling fashion. There's, I have a lot of respect to people that have exposed the, the, their weakness in their art and to, you know, to help me to get to where I am today. So I think I want to contribute to others as well, if possible. So I think it's really important not to repeat, oh, that sound like that, that looked like that. It's really important to really spend a lot of time thinking and what is your, you know, your true speech in a way. And 
the so I guess you know you know this kind of extreme, you know the we're, the extremeness we're talking about in this sort of practice doesn't have to come out necessarily be like really loud noisy. It can be silence sometimes. Silence sometimes is the most powerful thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. In, you know, in paintings, in ink paintings in China, there's a lot of space. You can the ink sometimes only existed in very small parts and. You know, and in poems, the untold, and in films, the quick cuts. You know, this sort of things really. It's. I feel like it's a long time to observe through other people's work and get inspired and think what you have to say. And it's it's a process. Yeah. Does making the sounds sometimes unlock the emotions? I'm talking about when you're working in mm -hmm. your studio or your house yeah. or wherever you work. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, I, I mentioned it to you a bit too yesterday. I think it is. I mean, I I have to do this because there's no other way around. I didn't. I wish I'm. I don't know. Sometimes life is a bit easier if I'm just doing a simple job and you know, like really happy that I can have a vacation once in a while. Like that would be nice. But unfortunately, that's not my case. And. I just have to go into the studio. I have to go on with my project because. It's if it's like a, a person. If it, this person is on the island alone, he has no one to talk to. He goes crazy. And the same with how I feel. If I don't talk through my work, I cannot make the myself be understood in the best way. And I feel I'm disconnected with the world, and I feel alone anyway. So only through creating work, I don't feel alone anymore. So that's like a necessity of making music, making art, and yeah, of course, it's very emotional. It's a lot of you know, um, it's getting to live this trance mode. Sometimes you, of course, cry a lot when you write love songs. When you, when you hear something that brings your past, and I'm not. I mean, it sounds like I'm really emotional, but it's. I really don't think my life or my past is more difficult or different than others. I think everyone's experience is very unique. Every individual, but it's really with the way I look at it. It's a bit gray. And I like that because that's just my my preference. Like, like I like fall more than summer, and you know it's just a preference. Yeah, so I definitely really enjoy in this moments I have. You know, like you you are completely naked feels like, and it's good to to be a child again in when you're doing your work. Just very you know, there's no defense, no justify, and I feel like I take. It's really like cutting yourself out feeling, but maybe not everyone is enjoying that. As I said, it's a preference. This is the way I'm having fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see some of this work. Um, you do different sorts of things. You do a lot of collaborative projects with everyone from opera singers to fashion designers to dancers. Um, and we'll see some of that as well. But you also have a solo practice where you're performing sort of various solo works which are often not ever the same yeah i i joke, i always call them stand-up comedy because you just go there you, you walk into a room you see all the faces you're like oh this is everybody what do they feel today how i feel about space today how do they feel about space today and the story i'm gonna tell is and that's how like you know you always take an hour half an hour and i, I always write notes when i'm on the plane getting there just 
you know, like words and like little poems and uh, it triggers feelings and it's really fun. It's, it's definitely like a, a quick challenge because it's mainly improvised. And as now, nowadays I always give a little talk before, which makes it more like a stand-up comedy, like making jokes and stupid jokes and stuff like that. But it's, it's nice. It feels like uh, I'm hosting a house party kind of feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you're making and performing this often very confrontational and sometimes quite harsh sound and performance, um, it's important to you, I think, to keep an element of intimacy, but also yeah. a sort of sense of humor in some way. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think I never want to be too, too serious about myself. In, in, in fact, I hope one day, like, I guess that's very difficult, you know, like, of course, because your work is personal, the artist, all the idea of the artist is always in the work. But I just really feel like, I just feel like I'm, 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 I'm almost myself is a joke, but my work is maybe appear to be serious, but it's really not to have this feeling of like, we're all so serious. I'm really serious about myself. I really don't feel that way. It's a very different layers, you know? Um, I feel like the daily self and the self in the work and the self speaking about the work is all different layers. And of course, through the creations, you express the ones that's the deepest and that you should not overexpose or take it out too often. Then it gets, it starts to rot. So it's, it's a very different feeling. And I, I just feel like that part is sometimes quite intense and difficult. I mean, Julie is quite intense. I think it's nice to surround it with warm water and flowers and some bubbles, stuff like that. <laughs> um, you said to me last night about the Chinese concept of harmony. So not making, you know, not going too... I guess balancing out yeah. the dark aspects of it or the really harsh aspects of it with something that balances it out. Yeah, definitely. Because there's one point I realized there's no, I shouldn't, should not overuse myself because I would really love to still be able to create, compose or produce, you know, all these things in 50 years, maybe 40 years. Then if, I'm just being very stupid and like, you know, doing, become, doing random things and having too much fun, drinking nonstop or like whatever, you know, then I wouldn't be able to be a solid person and have a clear mind to, to look around and look into myself. So I, I just felt like it's good to have a balance, not let the, the darkness overwhelm yourself. There's, it's a matter of perspective. It's really a matter of perspective. I think, um, you know, it's what I said, for example, about Koyo. It's really, all their stuff is, you see both sides in one song. And I think it's important to have, to always be able to have hopes. And I think that the physicality is also a really important part of your work. Yeah, We'll see some more of that in a bit when we watch um, Fist Piece. But everything from sort of, dance moves or choreographed or notated movements to, you know, just flailing around, crawling around, moving around. Like, it seems like it's important in your work that your body be a part of this. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, 
I guess it's, you know, sound for me is like the most physical form of expression. And so it triggers. I can't, I can't help in a way. Like I'm not, I can't just play my set standing there. Either it's voice or body, some part of me has to engage with the, the sound together. And I also think it's quite important um, you know, for the, 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 the artist in presence, but not in presence as an identity. That's why very often I use masks. It's, I don't want to feel, I mean, now maybe some people come to see it, they know already before, like my work a bit, but usually, you know, when people don't know, they can't tell where you're from and all this sort of things. So in a way, I'm, I remain the very neutral Play, I'm like a visual placeholder for whatever gesture, pose I'm giving and whatever it can give. And also in a way, you know, I really don't believe documentation and archive for moments because what you see and what you're there when you're watching, it's a totally different thing. I experience a quite of myself, especially nowadays with the development of technology and social media, um, it can never be documented in the same way as in the 70s or 80s. And, you know, when you watch all this, like, dance for camera or performance of pieces documented on films, and it's totally different now. So um, I still really believe, I think that what I really truly tr um, feel strongly towards is the liveness in, in the moments of performance. No matter you're performing sound and you're performing art and you know, this this moment you have with people and it's it's an aura. You cannot catch a scent on the camera. So that's what I really appreciate. And I think that will make something different for me and the spectator at the same time. So, but I understand the documentation in a way, you know, um, um, yeah, but those are the involvements of, you know, like my understanding towards my own work and, what I want to, my approach in the work has evolved so much in the past three, two, three years that reflecting my ongoing projects or, you know, like I do a lot of projects at the same time. I just really feel that way and they have become very different, let's say. It's so interesting to me um, how your work is so deeply personal for you when you're performing it mm -hmm. and you have a story for yourself about what you're working through or what the piece is about. But the work is also about people um, engaging with it and ascribing their own personal like histories and emotions and stuff onto what you're doing. Like when you were saying about using the masks so that people can see themselves sort of reflected. Absolutely, because I, I mean, I don't really understand. That's just not how... I was always, I never really had a community around me um, when I was growing up. But I do believe in this, you know, the power of like people resonant with each other. But I don't believe, okay, oh, they see me, I am like this look and, you know, and because she looks like that, I look like this too. That's not what I believe. I think that's not true. Um, it's better, it's more important that when we're all together in this room, I'm performing, it's such a special moment. You're here, I am here. I'm saying something, it's a story and it resonates with your memory, your story. And this way we come together um, in an unspoken way. 
you you know it, I know it, but we don't need labels, we don't need tags, we don't have to hand out before, hand out after, but that moment we know we are together and that's, I think slowly throughout years, this there will be a community around this. So you're talking about a feminine energy rather than something that is tied to one gender or one even type of being. Yeah. I think a lot of you know, what you're working in has to do with energy transfer. And I think anybody that's doing a live performance, whether it's a DJ set, a band, something solo, is trying to harness the power of the room or trying to make some sort of connection Mm. with the audience and have this cathartic moment with them, Mm -hmm. Um, kind of regardless of genre of music or what type of performance what techniques have you used or worked with to get closer to your audience? Well, I, I think I'm just maybe like I'm this kind of desperate type, desperately hopeful type that I would just, you know, in, in order to tell people, hey, this doesn't hurt. I would be like, look, I just did that. It didn't hurt. So <laughs> I would just do it to myself or, you know, like, Instead of trying to convince people, hey, this is an apple, you, you, you can eat it, it's not poisonous. I would just like take a bite and see, you, look, you can eat it. We can all eat it. So that's like, if you say technique, that's my technique, <laughs> maybe. Another thing you do sometimes is walk up to people and look them in the eye and stare at them in a way that might be uncomfortable for some people, which yeah. I'm interested because that's like, is that coming from your own fear of looking people in the eye or is that you wanting to like them to ha- have an intimacy with you like a um, forced intimacy maybe yeah like I feel really sorry sometimes for the audience I really force them to become really close to me but they don't feel like that day um, but of course they always feel free to walk away um, yeah I do go to the audience quite often or I, I talk I just also sometimes pick random people and talk about like just started having interview with them like while doing you know, it just happens in different ways but it's nice it's um I always think you know like the universe is quite big and where you are who meet who and it's just so um interesting and I would it's like a gamble game you're um, we're just I'm just playing different games and you know I don't know who who is ended up gonna be on the other side of the table but Whoever is there, we just share these moments together. It's nice. Yeah. (laughs) For me, at least. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's really cool. I want to look at a video of another work of yours that in a way has a lot of sound in it, yet no sound. This is a piece you did called In Service of a Song. Mm -hmm. It happened uh, four days in a row at House Contour Devout in Berlin. Um, So I built this soundproofed uh, box, half acrylic, half wood, um, and inside and outside is soil. And every day I would be in there, do a, one episode of a choreography with uh, acoustic singing all at the same time and with um, a s- sculpture I built with circuits. So people would see me moving inside and there's a turtle as well, interacting with this little animal and I would be doing my movements and you know a lot of gestures. Um, and singing from the beginning to the end, but because the box is soundproof, so no one can hear anything. And this piece is called In Service of a Song. Yeah, and the camera is being documented also 
with uh, one camera in one position every day, and also inside there's a GoPro to document it. And it turned out after into the a video sound and you know the box and the sculpture being exhibited in the gallery as like one exhibition. So that as the second part of it. Yeah, that's the piece. Did you? think much about how this piece would be received or how you wanted people to interact with it? Or was that the guessing game part? In this one, I didn't feel like anyone would interact. I just think I really, really adore music. And I just think we need to adore it more. So I just want to make this piece for people to think, to have, instead of listening to music and always have to feel like, give it to me, like, what are you giving to me now, you know? And just why can't we just treat it as a painting or, you know, something that you can actually just think about how, what does sound mean? mean? So that's why it says in service of a song, it's not about playing a song to you. It's about what does a song mean to us? Uh, it seems to me like when we talk about your work from 2015 and then talk about the more recent stuff, you're sort of moving towards things that for you are more subtle or more more human and intimate and more subtle as well. Like maybe that's the direction that your practice is going. Yeah, I definitely have calmed down much more. That's the problem of aging. I feel very differently towards things and you know, I think it's not, I don't think you, people hear you better because you're louder. Um, so, you know, I don't have to be always that loud. And, you know, I become more patient. There's projects I've been working on for two years and I'm happy to work on it for another two years, you know, stuff like this. And it requires a lot of patience and time and thoughts. And you have to really be a... Um, a calm person to be able to deal with all these things and you know um, but doesn't being calm doesn't mean quiet or ambient as I mentioned like there's different way of you know different understanding perspective extremeness in work the, the same was like I don't know if we saw the feast piece video um the the video itself, the film we made, is actually very slow. It's almost like a, a visual poetry, but the way it's presented is quite intense because, you know, with different screens around and I'm with a different performer and it's, we're all doing like operatic singing, you know, but if you take out each element, it's all very subtle. You're always standing in a bit of a vague gray zone, so there's always a layer of mystery on top, which gives space to people that are watching it to create together. So I, I really like this feeling of a haunting. Like I like to leave, I mean, I hope I, you know, my work now can, can, you know, maybe it's not that easy to understand the moment, but it will haunt you for a bit and hopefully will trigger something that you were not, you forgot to think about it for a while about yourself or about things you've experienced. And, you know, it's nice when I get feedback like that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So before we play the video of Fist Piece, can you explain what the piece is and its relationship to your album, Lack? 
Yeah. So as I said, like lack is my, let's say my study, my re, my understanding, my love letter to to those fictional figures in films I watch based on true story that I see myself or, you know, all the people I know a bit in, you know, all these things. So, and then after that came out, I decided to make my own version of this. So that's how I feel, you know, like um, it's, I think this kind of feminine energy is, is powerful. It's like water. It It's fluid. It's soft, but it can also be a flood. It's powerful. It's the same with fist. It's open. It's closed. And, you know, you can punch people. You can, the which direction you're going. And it's a very, um, a fluid point. It can be very powerful. can be very loving. I think that brings up an interesting point, though, is that you're performing not your solo work, but something like Fist Piece, you're performing it in various places around the world. And how do you manage this um, when things are not really up to specifications? Well, I mean, I, I guess sometimes maybe it can be difficult for people to think, you know, I think it's really unfair. Why do we have to compromise? It says very clear, if you want the best out of this project, then this is what I need. Why do we have to compromise? Because we're musicians. If it's, and may someone make a sculpture, they want bronze, they want bronze. You're not going to come with concrete wrapped up in golden paper. That's not the same, right? So I think the only way to for me to continue and to be happy of what I do is to do it 100%. It's fair for the people that come to see it. Um, Fizzpiece has played in IMAX Cinema and we're playing next week in Barbican. And, you know, like if it's a place and in, in Atonel's way, the craft work, it's really, we com I communicate exactly what I thought and we talked a lot. I really don't mind spending time communicating, but as long as it's clear, we get there and you know, and it happened again and again. So I would think the best way for me to do it is to keep working with people that really understand it and can can meet the needs. Of course, sometimes it doesn't happen because it is difficult to install everything we need. I, I know that, but I, you know, I just, when I'm there, I'm definitely not grumpy. I just, okay, people are here, they, they're innocent, they don't know what's going on, they've never seen it. I try to give as much as I can, you know, be a responsible person. But before and after, I would always, you know, think like, me being a person responsible for my baby is to not to throw it around. Could you just talk a little bit about what you're working on right now? Um, right now I'm working on my next album. Um... Well, I have to say, I feel like I'm in a very big count, like a point of transitioning. Like, I feel like my next work uh, or, you know, even how I identify myself through my work are changing really a lot. Um, and I've also been working on this. Uh, I don't know how do you call it. I do work with opera singers in it and it's a lot of people. It's, you know, two, three hours long for two years now and now it's like the first year that it's starting to get into uh, 
like life, we're finally rehearsing acts by acts and showing in different places and slowly. Um, so I call it a live play, but you can also call it an opera or whatever. And so that's the two main things I'm working on at the moment. And no, not I, I'm not really hurrying on any of them. I think it's whenever it's time and it's ready and I'm happy to share. And, you know, I just feel very grateful, you know, from the beginning that I'm, I have these opportunities to, to learn through practice, to be able to keep practicing and people, there are people happy to share it together or, or you know, are keeping up with things that's, I want to say. And I just think it's, a, I really can't appreciate more. You know, it's, that's what's the most important. You, you're not talking to yourself and, you know, it's a communication that's really nice, a conversation. And it's, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm constantly generating conversations with people and always exciting things comes out of these conversations. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about conversations, you know, through work. And um, it's, it just feels like there's no end. It's really nice. You just see it goes on forever almost. It's really nice, yeah. Beautifully said. Well, I think that's a perfect place to end our conversation. Thank you. And thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> hey, this is Jordan Rothline again. Thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom. Before you go, I just wanted to take a minute to tell you a little bit about the Red Bull Music Academy. The whole thing is a world-traveling series of music workshops and events. If you want to find out more, check us out at redbullmusicacademy.com. Also, if you liked what you heard on this podcast and you're not already subscribed, please go for it and consider rating us while you're at it. It really helps other people discover the podcast. Finally, there's a whole world of other great music programming like this to check out at redbullradio.com. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. <laughs>